This show is sponsored by FIS. Welcome to Breaking Banks, the number one global fintech radio show and podcast. I'm Brett King. And I'm Jason Henricks. Every week since 2013, we explore the personalities, startups, innovators, and industry players driving disruption in financial services. From incumbents to unicorns, and from cutting-edge technology to the people using it to help create a more innovative, inclusive, and healthy financial future. I'm J.P. Nichols, and this is Breaking Banks. Hi, I'm your host, Amber Buecher, and today I got the chance to speak with one incredible human, Ken Denman. Ken is a partner at Sway Ventures and a member of several corporate boards, including Costco Wholesale, Motorola, and VMware. Before that, Ken was a seasoned and successful CEO, leading several companies through turnarounds, IPOs, and acquisitions, including the sale of Emotion, a leader in cloud-based facial expression analytics, which he sold to Apple. So turn up this wide-ranging conversation where Ken and I discuss leading through crashes, navigating today's very tricky fundraising landscape, the promise of the metaverse, and so much more. Hello, it is so great to be here today recording an episode of Breaking Banks with Ken Denman. We were connected by some mutual acquaintances at Money 2020, and I'm so excited to talk to him today. Ken is the board member and general partner at Sway VC. Ken, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Hi, Amber. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So you have had an incredible career, um, as we talked about in the introduction to this segment. Um, But it was so funny because when I was prepping for our conversation, I looked back at your LinkedIn and the earliest job title I could find was COO. (laughs) I was was like, that's a pretty high level title to be starting at. But I'm, you know, I'm sure that LinkedIn just doesn't have enough space for, for everything that you've done. I'd love to start, if you don't mind, by kind of going back a little bit, a little bit further and looking at the gap between, you know, where where you grew up, where you went to school, and then how you made it to that high of a rung on the ladder. Um, and what what attributes kind of do you think helped you get to where you are today? Well, you know, I, I broadly, I'm I'm a I was an army brat, you know, uh, oldest of five boys, and, uh, and my dad, our dad was a sergeant in the army, and so you know, we we moved around a lot, and I think that ultimately, you know, a couple of stints in Germany, two different tours, and then sort of posts all over the United States, finally ending up in the Fort Lewis area, which is in the Seattle Tacoma area, um, allowed uh, me and my brothers to kind of learn how to assimilate quickly, and. Um, um, and so it, it also fed, you know, intellectual curiosity, um, you know, seeing a lot of different cultures, a lot of different people, a lot of different parts of the country and the world. So that was very helpful. Um, you know, I, I ended up uh, majoring in, in, in accounting and, and, you know, getting an accounting degree, passing the CPA exam. But my first job was not with public company, with, with not public, uh, public accounting companies, but was with um, Battelle, Pacific Northwest Laboratories, which was a division of Battelle Memorial Institute. A contract research and development company, and they that was by far the best offer. And my dad was pretty clear, you know, like, hey, you need a good job, <laughs> and you need a job that pays well. So anyway, uh, th- what that led to though was, you know, it fed my love for sci-fi and what's possible, and media, you know, spending time with the researchers and 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 the technology, you know, was uh, the beginning of uh, uh, feeding my lifelong love for you know looking around corners. And uh, after that, I got my MBA at the University of Washington. 
uh, in finance and international business. And so, you know, I came into the working world pretty much with more of a financial and accounting background, but quickly, you know, via moving into U.S. West in the investor relations area, um, I, I jumped to several promotions, but I ended up, you know, as uh, in the investor relations area at headquarters here in Denver with U.S. West. Again, and one of my assignments, uh, you know, in the early late '80s, early '90s, was was in was in mobile, was in wireless. And you got to remember, back in that day, cell cellular was brand new. And, um, and remind, I us what, someone, remind us what year we were in. Uh, this is like uh, it's 80, 88 through ninety, okay. you know, two or so, where you know I'm telling my friends that hey, in the future your phone, you, you'll just have a phone number that goes with you everywhere. Now back in those days, you know, people were like, whoa, no. It, so, um, but but long story short, I rose up through the finance area, and then I became the assistant to the president and CEO of US, you know, U.S. West Communications. So I had this lofty title, you know, executive director and assistant to the president and CEO. And it was a great staff job. You know, I was clearly on a good, fast path. But I remember the CEO telling me, hey, look, you've got a great title. And a lot of people are going to know you and see you. But you have to remember, you don't have any power. I have all the power. <laughs> and, and so all of the people on my staff that you're going to have to work with and say no to on my behalf are people you're going to have to work with in the future. So be very humble. And it was great advice, and I was, and and I think I would have been anyway. But it was particularly a, a good advice, and and it allowed me to 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 learn how to build relationships and to navigate, um, you know, senior level officers and senior level issues. And so from there, I became a, a vice president of the wholesale wireless unit of US West. Um, got to meet great people who are friends today, including you know people like John Stanton. Who was at the time CEO of Western Wireless, and before that Macaw, and who now is on the board with me at Costco, and uh, and 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 you know is the president of the Seattle Mariners. So you know I've had good fortune through most of my career to be in interesting places, interesting jobs, meet interesting people, who today are still friends of mine. I ultimately went to uh, Europe as chief operating officer uh, for uh, chief operating officer wireless for Media One where I was leading the building of multinational joint ventures, basically building uh, GSM companies, cellular companies in Central and Eastern Europe, really interesting places based in London, St. Petersburg, Lithuania, Poland, Czech Republic, Slovak Republic, Hungary, chasing licenses in Ukraine, Romania, Egypt, really a great job. And, you know, so that brings us up to, up to, the point that my LinkedIn starts. <laughs> <laughs> well, no shortage of, of amazing stories jam-packed in that that amount of time. I love so many themes that you talked about, um, you know, in leadership, Ken, but also this love of looking around corners and being kind of on the cutting edge, you know, being on mo in mobile before mobile was what it is today. By the way, I remember the first time that I got to keep my cell phone number and I was so ecstatic. I remember exactly <laughs> where I was. I was like, whoa, you mean just because I'm moving from cricket to at and I'll never have to do it ever again? Like, <laughs> <laughs> amazing. Um, thank you for, for taking us along that journey. Um, and so, so we're up to COO. After that, um, you founded a startup. So you also have a background as an entrepreneur, which I'm sure comes in so handy in your work today as an investor and, and, and general partner with Sway. So the thing about this startup, though, I love that you're so candid about it. Um, you, you described this company on your LinkedIn as a, a 
a precursor uh, and too early leader of cloud-based unified communication space. Um, so what is that experience as a as a too early founder teach you yeah. that you still use today? <laughs> yeah. Well, one of the things that taught me for sure was that, you know, in venture, timing is the Megillah. Timing is everything at some level. There's one thing that can crush you uh, or benefit you, it's timing. So I had joined Crosspoint Venture Partners as an entrepreneur in residence uh, and um, you know, great team there. You know, my buddy, to, a lifelong friend to this day, Seth Nyman, was one of the uh, was the general partner that recruited me there, and we we you know we had a great idea together. He asked me to write it up. I you know I I I, I pitched it at a, a, a partner meeting and asked for ten million. And by the time I got out of the room, I had fifteen million dollars to start this fund, to start this company. And we were doing well. We were we were meeting our plan. We were you know we we had you know a really impressive number of customers and more in the pipeline. And we were basically an early version of eight by eight or ring central, but it was more voice over ATM as opposed to voice over IP because the technology just wasn't there. We were, we were early, but again, still making progress. There was a market there. There was signal that was clear. Well, then the, the first big, the, the, you know, so the, the, the internet bubble, the first internet bubble of two, uh, uh, 99, 2000, well, 2000 hit. And I could not raise another uh, uh, round for Lovner money. And I, you know, even with Crosspoint back in this fully, it was just, a dark time, as most of you will remember. And so even though we had done well relative to the plan that we put forward, um, you know, at some point I realized that if I hit the wall at 10,000 miles an hour, we were basically the front door to a lot of companies. And it, we would not only, you know, we would hurt a lot of our, our customers. So at some point, realizing how difficult it was, frankly, impossible for a telecom service provider to raise around in that window, you know, with about a million, million and a half, million and a half dollars, I, I, you know, uh, chatted with Crosspoint with Seth and just said, look, you know, this could end very badly if we are not thoughtful here. And so we decided um, to wind the company down. Crosspoint was very, very honorable in, uh, in, in that, in that decision process and support of that. And so, um, you know, we severanced a lot of employees and the management team went on no salary and we spent many months just moving customers to other solutions and then you know, I put a put a you know lock, put a padlock on the on the on the building door. Uh, it gave the uh, gave this the landlord the keys and took family on a Disney cruise. <laughs> but it was a it was a really really difficult uh, emotional um, time, and uh, there was you know n nothing harder than standing in front of employees and saying we were going to wind the company down. Um, and uh, you know, it was one of the most uh, deeply uh emotional times in my life and i remember talking to seth and saying you know gosh seth i don't know how to let this happen i'm i just i'm devastated i i you know i i can't believe that 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 this is where this ended up and everybody worked so hard and seth was like ken get over yourself he said cisco's trading at 11 dollars. <laughs> this is this is this is way bigger than you. <laughs> it's a, you know, this is not about you. This is you know, there there are things that are bigger forces in nature, and you got to understand that if you're going to learn from this experience and move on to the next one. And so, I had the benefit in that particular time of a great friend, coach, and investor who had lost a lot of money, and um, and and was really kind of reading me the riot act about not capturing the real lesson here. And by the way, that same investor, along with Excel pulled me into the next company 
um, you know, to replace that team. And uh, that was a that was a team that we a business that was troubled, but we took public like two and a half years later after I after I took over. Thank you, Kim, for being so vulnerable and sharing that story. It's um, it's one that I think is on a lot of people's minds, given the climate around fintech investing right now. And what we're seeing, you know, people are just being told, like, listen, you're not going to be able to raise around. Um, and, you know, a lot of that is because of everything that's going on with crypto. And there was a fintech decline before that. I'm curious, um, from your position and having your background in an experience like this where timing is literally everything, what advice would you give to founders, companies that you're talking to these days? I would say first and foremost, do everything you can to create as much runway as you can. We're in a we're in a wind tunnel here that's pretty tough and hard. And to the extent that you have to raise capital, understand that the market is extremely tough. Um, you know, valuations I've seen cut, you know, as much as 60% in in the best case. And um, and so sometimes you just take the pain. If you can if you can raise around and buy yourself more runway, you know, do it. Um, but if you can extend your, you know, your reach, you know, do it. I mean, 24 months of runway is the new, you know, is the new, you know, is the new 12 months of runway. And so, um, you know, we just don't know how long this wind tunnel is. And VCs are being very, very, very conservative. And so lots of folks are talking, taking meetings. But there's alligator arms out there. They're trying to understand, you know, when the windows for IPOs will open. They're trying to understand what's happening in capital flows. Even though they have uh, capital dry powder, it's just a, a, a nervous time. So um, deals are, are are being done very carefully, if at all. So again, I come back to the my beginning thesis here: buy yourself as much runway as possible, and in the worst case, take the pain and give yourself a chance for for victory later. Awesome. Thanks, Ken. And you heard it here first, people. 24 months is the new 12 months of runway. So let's talk about something that um, is a little bit more bright, which is you you are a turnaround artist. You take rough situations and make them better and save companies. You mentioned iPass a second. Well, I don't know if you mentioned it by name. So your 2003 IPO with iPass um, and before that, OpenWave also did a major strategy transition with them um, in the mobile space. So can you tell us a little bit about those journeys and, and what... What makes you the turnaround artist, I guess? And what, what skills do you think are the most helpful for that? <laughs> well, I don't know if I would actually accept the turnaround artist. I've been involved in a couple of situations like that. And, you know, one went uh, one went really well in terms of at least getting to an exit and an IPO in a very difficult time when there weren't many IPOs in 03. Um, the other was more of a, a company that was kind of deeply harmed, deeply damaged by a nasty, heart, hostile takeover attempt. Um, which the the company survived, but it was almost you know kind of mortally wounded at that point. And 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 you know the job then was to kind of right the ship and 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 sort of figure out which way is up and which what the what the what the real underlying assets and value was. And and we organized it around IP and um, and the two operating units, which eventually were parted out to private equity. Um, and so. You know, I don't know that I would I would consider that as much as a turnaround, as much as sort of a, a diving catch, <laughs> if you will, to to kind of you know extract as much value as as, as possible. Um, uh, but it it you know 
the the core of any of those situations when you're going into a turnaround is to you know really you've got to first write the ship which means you know bond with the employees listen really really well and uh, and and then figure out what you have to do to keep the 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 team intact and and sort of the, very quickly develop the strategy for the go forward and um and build that strategy with the team sell it to the board and get to work and i'm accelerating greatly the the time frame and the amount of work to be done but the main job in in difficult situation is to provide the leadership and the and the prioritization of of effort that's needed to figure out the north star and then sell that north star internally and externally um while uh while while sort of watching the unit economics very carefully and also importantly if it comes to it picking the right point um to uh to take the exit uh, and if that means it if it's M&A or if it's or if it's you know selling the company or whatever it is um you know being eyes wide open around what the future holds and what's the best strategy for all concerned shareholders um employees customers no small list of things to do for sure and to do really well and and um probably on a razor's edge of um margin error right you're managing a lot of anxiety uh typically uh anxiety yeah. across the board uh, all the all the constituents and um and anxiety within your own self and so you know figuring out a way to 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 sort of suppress that that anxiety to get to the real work that needs to be done i think a lot of times in difficult situations there's there's so much anxiety that you know there's actually too many points of focus and and the, your real goal is to get to you know uh, just a couple of points of focus and go attack those and um and trying to do too many things um in a in a hurricane is like the worst thing you can do that's I'm glad that you elaborated on that because it actually ties right back into what I was going to point out about something that you said, which was figure out your North Star and then sell it. You first, you know, you're speaking to this anxiety, creating a lot of distraction, figuring out the North Star is the really difficult first part. I want to ask about the second part, though, um, the selling it part. How, what do you think are some of the key traits that make good leaders capable of selling? This is what we need to do or this is what the vision is. And and getting that buy-in that you need to make things happen. I think one of the key traits is that that you have to be a, a willing and able learner. You have to go into a situation, listen really well, ask great questions, and 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 then coalesce around um, just a few points of of emphasis. And I think that you know great leaders tend to be great translators um, of you know sort of understand. Sort of take in, ingest all of the, a lot of data and information, coalesce around a uh, sort of a core uh, set of uh, principles and uh, decisions, and then you know play those back in a way that people are not surprised because they've sort of participated already in in building them, you know, through the whole question answer debate conversation, and um, and and that, and at that point, you know, many people both internally and and ex and at the board level they kind of get to the point where it's like you know it's it's they think it's their it's actually their decision <laughs> they think it's their their plan because and it is because they've sort of participated in it 
And yeah, there's always some hard calls that a that that a, a CEO or a leader has to make that may be orthogonal to the to what people thought. But more often than not, uh, if you do it right, you do it well, you do it relatively fast. The the obvious answers kind of come to the surface. It's it's usually not non-obvious answers. It's more obvious answers, and you just sort of focus the effort, and people get to the point where they kind of go, "Yep, that makes sense. Absolutely." Wish we thought of this, you know, a year ago. Or, yep, that's what I've been saying all along. However they get there, you just want them to get there. Got it. And I'm sure that that happens a lot. People feel heard sometimes when when those calls are finally made. You may already have payments embedded into your software platform, but do you have flexibility around how those payment experiences are created? What about control over your pricing? or ability to use your own branding? Chances are you probably don't. Discover WorldPay for platforms, a payments platform that puts you in control and puts your software customers first. This all-in-one payment facilitation platform offers more than just embedded payments. With WorldPay for platforms, take advantage of a full set of solutions, including professional managed and advisory services to enhance your business make your software even better with a solution that easily integrates and adapts to your needs, helping you create experiences beyond payments. Discover the possibilities you can unleash with WorldPay for platforms. Visit fisglobal.com slash WorldPay platforms to get started today. Speaking of making big calls that CEOs and founders have to make, uh, you also had a company acquired by Apple, Emodiant, um, which I think was doing automated financial, uh, automated facial, excuse me, expression analysis. Can you tell us a little bit about that company and that journey and, and, yeah. and the, you know, what, the, what that experience of acquisition and, and wrestling with those big strategic decisions was like in the moment, maybe? Well, I would I would say first of all the the company the was emotion that was the name of the uh, apologies kind of emotion that's emotion. okay Thank yeah it's a combination of emotion and quotient emotion and okay. um, this was a company that was actually um, uh, m- myself and my co investor the, the the lead investor was my friend my form uh, and and uh, uh, from Crosspoint Venture days Seth Nyman was the lead investor in that deal and we. We we had had a, a lot of conversations about what was next, what was the next big thing, and and, and generally, you know, the, the 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 thesis was since the beginning of the machine age, machines have we, uh, people have adapted to machines and the proclivities of machine designers, and 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 over several tequilas, we we were began going down this thread. Well, like maybe it's time now with the enabling technology, or because of the enabling technology, that machines could actually adapt to us. Well, if they were going to do that, how would they do that? Well, they'd have to know how we feel. In order to serve us, and so that led to a conversation. Okay, what would be? How would that happen? What would be the enabling technologies that could allow that? And what would be the sensor? And what would be the signal? And uh, between that, with it, cameras being everywhere and the resolution of cameras being so great, it was clear that computer vision would be a component. It was also um, we also thought that it could be the face because uh, you know if you look learn how the, the facial expressions work with the with the limbic system. You know, when we when we feel a stimulus, or when we are are are, are impacted by a stimulus, there are uh, the muscles of the face are impacted, uh, whether we know it or not. 
and people talk about a poker face. Uh, to a lesser extent, the human eye can see changes in faces, but not as well, nowhere near as well as um, uh, as as the compute the computer vision capability that we have today. Cameras today at a at a 1080p by 1080p perspective, if you go to a pixel level, if you're interrogating a face at a pixel level, you can see things that the human eye can't see. So to the extent that someone feels an expression or 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 has an has a has an emotion and i will i will say has some sense or some reaction there are muscle movements in the face that the human eye cannot see and the camera can see so based on uh, the, the facial action coding system um that uh, you know a famous uh, scientist has developed um we 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 knew that there was a potential there so we found um a, a team an intact team at the University of California, San Diego, that was the most cited, most published team in the world on this sort of uh, uh, facial expression measurement area. And uh, we're able to pull that team out of the university. Uh, we found we funded the company. I did the deal with the University of California, San Diego for the prior art. And we went down the path and we were we were we, we you know, we had a lot of great use cases, but ultimately um, uh, there were uh, companies, large companies with, you know, billions of devices in the market that had phones in it and they had a better idea so uh long story short um we ended up being acquired by by apple uh that's probably as much as i can say uh as you know apple <laughs> understood I, I had to ask pretty <laughs> aggressive about privacy and so i'm yeah. gonna i'm gonna stop there it was it was a very it was a good outcome and uh, you know and we're we, we, we were we were you know the team is um was really happy to be, you know, associated with such an amazing brand and an amazing company that, and, you know, I had told the team, um, if they came with us and did this, that we would help them productize their life's work and there's no better product company in the world. And so, uh, yeah, it was a good outcome. That's incredible. And also, and it all started with a conversation with a friend, a really deep, amazing conversation with a friend that you had known again from a past life, which I think yeah, is the theme for what we've talked about today too. A lot of things you said, and then I knew this from this guy from there and we did this yeah. together. That's just how it kind of unfolds, isn't it? For, you know, I, I've had a lot of lives and I, and I've been fortunate and I would tell you that, you know, uh, relationships are ultimately the thing that determines the success or lack thereof for most of us across you know careers the most important things in our lives are typically the relationships both personal personal and in business and so you know earning the trust um and the uh, the confidence of of people that you care for in either personal or business is is sort of the key one of the major keys to success in my view so i'm curious with all of the work that you were doing at emotion if you have any strong opinions on AR, VR, the metaverse, all of those things that rely on trying to understand and replicate very complex human individuals and emotions and situations. Generally, my, my, I would say the most important thing uh, that I have observed is um, we often, you know, in a lot of technologies, the, the first place they're tried are more in sort of personal consumer um uh, areas and and absolutely gaming is like one of the biggest markets in the world bigger than a lot of the content markets and, and media and advertising and 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 movies theaters it's a, it's, a, it's an amazing market but it is um it's not often the first place to go with enabling technology the next versions i think that 
that, you know, uh, where we will see, quote unquote, meta uh, have success first is going to be more in use cases uh, that that enterprises embrace. So, um, you know, whether it's uh, training for, you know, precision instrumentation or some some specific area where where people have an opportunity to be better trained in a more of a virtual setting, um, you know, something like that. using you know digital twin technology to um to, you know to, to solve problems or use cases in, uh, that are more energized enterprise related absolutely i can see that i i happen to be uh, a co-founder and and chairman of the board of an interesting company that was pre-sway uh proprio vision uh just a seattle-based company and i call it virtual reality for surgeons um for lack of a better term but but you know the where where the use cases you're solving a hard problem and and delivering value d- down an enterprise lane. Uh, we'll see success there, and over time, um, there there there'll be an opportunity for more of the consumer facing areas. But I, I think the willingness to pay um, is 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 evident in the enterprise space where you solve current current hard problems and deliver more efficiency, um, less latency, more capability, and particularly where you can augment humans. I think we, we sometimes miss that opportunity where, you know, there's still a human in the loop, but you can dramatically augment humans and, and improve um, efficiency. Bold, bold vision for the future. I, you know, I think it's really interesting, the medical applications that we have, not just from, from AR, VR, meta, but also robotics. Um, and the combination of those is really exciting. Um, yeah. Well, I, I, just to add tag onto that point, what we used to think a lot of these technologies as as sort of um, individual siloed technologies, whether it's natural language processing, computer vision, machine learning, deep learning, et cetera, you can go on and on, AR, VR. The reality is a lot of these technologies now are mature enough where they're coming together and, and they're coming together quickly. And there's not as much um, uh, sort of separation between them and, and, and there's now enough expertise where people can use them simultaneously to, to solve hard rock problems. And so, it's one of the reasons I remain absolutely optimistic and excited about what's going to happen in the next five years. I think we're going to see so many cool things come to fruition. It's always the hard problems that are the most exciting, I think. And you also invest in in an area that has a, a ton of other hard problems that we talk about a lot on this show, which is uh, finance and fintech. I saw that you had participated in uh, an investment with for Tally, um, which I don't know if you guys have seen their commercial where the girl's laying in bed and it talks about what it feels like to be in credit card debt. I love that commercial. It was so um, emotion, <laughs> let's say. Um, <laughs> but um, that was a really cool investment with folks like Cowboy Ventures, Andreessen Horowitz, uh, Rex over at, at Cambrian, who's a friend of the show. What do you love about finance and fintech? What are you most excited about in that space right now? Well, broadly, you know, my interest in fintech comes from just looking at which industries will be most disrupted in the next, uh, you know, next five to seven years. And Financial services, absolutely one of those. Um, it also comes from you know my background in in mobile and mobile software, because we kind of really are carrying banks around in our in our in our hand. You know, these these things are the equivalent of, of the, the go forward uh, uh, sort of expression of, of of banking, and a lot happens. You know, it's a lot of power in our hands, and so um, you know 
I started thinking a lot about the fintech space in the late in the late aughts, um, and and combine that with some changes in legislation that, that through the Durban Act, as an example, that really I think was an accelerant to early stage companies being able to get in the game, being able to sort of get lease a lease a banking charter. And so I have had you know for more than a decade now an interest in where that was where things were going to go in the financial services space. So you know the opportunity here is that. You know, um, I have a I have a saying. You know, money wants to move at the speed of data, <laughs> and 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 largely it it has not been able, it been allowed to for a number of reasons. Many are related to sort of regulatory constraints, uh, but also just you know not actually having the ability to put power in the hands of uh, of consumers. So, um, uh, you know, I just think there's so much opportunity because. Uh, the reality is that the average consumer um, is like a frog in a boiling water. They have no idea, uh, really, of the uh, of, of the environment that they're working in. They, you know, most many of us we have financial advisors who are working to manage our our finances and save money and and get optimal returns. The average consumer doesn't have that, and unfortunately, in a lot of the financial services, uh, there's no there's little or no education for them. So. I think that commercial was perfect because you know what what Jason Brown and the team was able to do in addition to being an an amazing sort of deep technology company under the covers their machine learning you know heading the deep learning capability uh, to do underwriting is unbelievably strong and good and deeply technical but but at the at the at the point of contact with the consumer what they've been able to do is speak to a truth for the average consumer which is they don't really understand finance. They know they kind of have a sense that they're in trouble, but they don't really know how to solve it. And uh, and 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 even more so, there's a lot of finance, there's a lot of anxiety out in in the in the market broadly. And that the, the 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 woman laying awake thinking about, okay, I've got like four credit cards, I got this much debt, I got to make this payment on this date. I'm shuffling around. The we are suffering from a mental health crisis in many ways across the country, and consumers. Many of their much of their mental health challenges is around financial stress in the everyday family. So finding a way to use technology to help um, provide support, advice, really to actually step in and take control and take that weight off the shoulders of the consumer and add value. I mean, it's easy to say you know we can step in and be be your advisor, but if you are you really adding value? Are you really helping? Can you demonstrate that you're helping people reduce their Credit card debt and 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 improve their uh, their, their their livelihood and improve their sort of anxiety. Um, that that's what Tally is attacking, and it's a it's a it's a beautiful mission. It's a powerful mission. It's a noble mission. But it, the reality of value, actually, you can say it. Saying it is one thing. I'm a huge fan of sort of membership models. The fact that they're 48 month, you know, 60 month uh, cohort retentions is so high speaks to they're actually delivering value and actually are reducing uh, the amount of debt that consumers are under reducing the period of time which they can pay off debt and um, and and frankly reducing the financial stress that uh, consumers feel so it's one of the reasons I'm so excited to be involved uh, with 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 tally because I they're really adding value they're doing good by doing good it's a powerful thought very powerful indeed and 
Ken, you've just done so much good through all of your work um, and and now investing in amazing companies. So tell us, is there anything that we should have asked you that didn't? And where can people find you? What would you like us to take away from today? Well, you covered the waterfront pretty well. Um, you know, uh, I, I think that you know, we're in a we're in an, uh, an interesting time in this downtrough economically, it, you know, sort of in, in the country and the world right now. But I would say this. So many great companies have been built in down downturns. And part of the reason is I think it's because uh, unlike maybe the last three or four years uh, where capital was so abundant and kind of easy, when capital is constrained, you have to be really, really good and really, really focused. And I think we've got that. I think there are going to be some great companies built in this window at a time when in the next five to seven years, we're going to see more disruption, more benefit, more change to the good around uh, capability, technology, underlying enabling technology, transforming itself into better B2B models, better B2C models, better B2B2C models. You know, we're not going to recognize, um, we're not going to recognize where we are today, five to seven years from now, because it's going to be such big change. So I'm excited about the opportunity to find great companies, um, you know, who are looking at some of the hard problems in front of us with a clean sheet of paper. Um, I'm I'm excited to see large uh, co- enterprise companies working harder to understand how do they get access to the data, the information, the the perspective on what's being built around them. Because many big companies are now figuring out that they're not the best innovators, and and so we're starting to see them leveraging relationships with uh, with with the venture community. Um, some are still trying to do corporate venture, but a lot of the folks are doing sort of outsourced, outsourced venture capital because, you know, again, they're trying to stay in their lane. So I see great trends and I'm optimistic uh, about where, where things are going, even in this you know, sort of economic dark, dark times. Ken, I feel like I just got the most uplifting masterclass ever. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. We really appreciate your time and um, wish you all the best in the, in the holidays coming up. Thank you, Amber. It was a it was a pleasure to be here, and I, likewise, I wish you the a great holiday season. Thanks, Ken. That's it for another week of the world's number one fintech podcast and radio show, Breaking Banks. This episode was produced by our US-based production team, including producer Elizabeth Severins, audio engineer Kevin Hersham, with social media support from Carlo Navarra and Sylvie Johnson. If you like this episode, don't forget to tweet it out or post it on your favorite social media. Or leave us a five-star review on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Facebook, or wherever it is that you listen to our show. Those actions help other people find our podcast. And in return, that helps us build an audience that can be supported by sponsorship so we can continue to provide you with our award-winning content every week. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you on Breaking Banks next week.